we live amongst such uncertainty. I mean, in every aspect of life, uh, whether it's uh, the weather outside, uh, the relationships that we find ourselves in, the jobs that we work, such uncertainty in life. You know, I think about the job that I work, and I'm sure it's similar to yours. You wear so many different hats. So many different things are expected of you, and sometimes the things expected of you are kind of unknown until they kind of blow up in your face, right? You've experienced that sort of thing in life, I can imagine. Such uncertainty. Uh, you know, in our, in our walks, in our, in our spiritual walks, I think for many of us in many seasons of life, we find a similar uncertainty. What is expected of me? What's this supposed to feel like? Uh, what comes next? All sorts of uncertainty. But we find ourselves uh, for these three weeks in a beautiful and simple text that, that describes for us what God expects of his people, what God qualifies as good amongst his people. We read from uh, the prophet Micah, and in chapter 6, verse 8, he's coming to kind of a culminating place in his prophecy towards the people of Israel. You see, Micah had come to Israel to tell them, you have turned your back on, on God, you have abandoned your side of covenant, and there are consequences. There is a nation coming to, to take, take away uh, your people, to take your sovereignty. But the prophets also speak of hope. God is not done yet. You see, God is a God of mercy. And in this moment, he calls to the people of Israel, uh, though as a people as a whole, you've lost sight of what God intended for you, to you individuals, he speaks, uh, this is what God expects of you. This is what God requires of you. This is what God qualifies as good amongst his people. Before I read the text, I'll say this. These things are good because they are the, the characteristics of God. They are God's nature that we are invited to reciprocate, to live into in our lives. Micah chapter 6 verse 8 is the text that we're in uh, for a few weeks here. God has shown you, O oh mortal, God has shown you people what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. It's so simple and beautiful, and yet as we dig into each of these three concepts, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly, we will realize it's not as simple to live out on a consistent basis in our lives. And yet, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, to continue to refine us, to call us to look more like Jesus, to usher in and participate in his kingdom in this world. Last week, we spoke of uh, acting justly and the fact that in Scripture, uh, the majority of the conversation around justice doesn't have to do with punitive measures and prison sentences like often we would think of justice, but instead that the justice spoken of the vast majority of the times the word comes up in Scripture is about restorative justice. What does it look like? A God that is bringing about healing and restoration in his just processes. Today we dig into loving mercy, to love mercy. Jesus says, uh, in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful, because they will be shown mercy. 
There's a spiritual dynamic to this in, in which God is giving us mercy, expecting us to reciprocate mercy, and his mercy continues to come in our lives. It's a reciprocal thing, right? Mercy upon mercy is God's desire for his people. This passage might sound a lot like karma. It is not karma. It is the economy of the kingdom of God. This reciprocal mercy being shown to us that we're invited to reciprocate in the world. I have both demonstrated and received mercy in my life. A couple instances uh, have been coming to my mind uh, from the last couple, over the past week as I've been considering this text. Uh, Remember, it might have been Christmas Eve. If not, it was the day before that. We were at the grocery store. My daughter and I ran out to, to get a couple quick things. We didn't realize that we were there uh, as the store was closing uh, early that night because of the holiday season. And so someone comes down the aisle while we're kind of just prancing around and having fun uh, and says, uh, you need to go ahead and check out now. So we got to the register and I stood behind a lady uh, checking out. Um, she loves Mountain Dew. I know that much about her. I don't know much else about her. And uh, she, she had... Um, maybe some food stamps or something for part of the bill. And then she had a couple dollars and some change in her purse, and she gave that, and then she gave her debit card for the remainder, and it was denied. Uh, th- there wasn't enough funds. And uh, like I said, they're closing and getting a little impatient. This uh, is an awkward situation, and there's a couple more people still in line. And I had the opportunity to do the very simple and very practical thing and just use my credit card to cover the rest of her grocery bill, right? And it's a simple thing. It, it, it didn't cost a fortune, but to see the response of that, that checker who is, who is checking this gal out, to see the situation resolved so simply, uh, a day before Christmas, and just to get to say, hey, Merry Christmas, you know, blessings in this holiday season. It was a simple act of mercy, but what a woman needed in that in that moment in her life, right? I've also received mercy. I've been on the other end of this scenario many times in my life. Uh, you guys remember a while back ago, we had a pandemic? Um, yeah, there was a lot of room for mercy in that season. Uh, I remember one time a friend getting sick and uh, uh, with, with COVID. And after the fact, coming and saying, you weren't there. You weren't there for me. And, and it just hit me. You're absolutely right. I, I didn't step in. And the ability of a friend to say, you know what? It's okay. To, to demonstrate mercy to me in a moment of my realizing my weakness brought about that restorative justice, that healing, that friendship that gets to continue and even deepen because of some of the vulnerability and the forgiveness experienced in that moment. Right? We've all been on both sides of mercy. Today we're going to spend a few minutes digging into a scriptural, scriptural concept that is mercy and then consider our place in it as we go forward. Scripture uh, speaks of mercy and compassion in, in, in similar terms. Mercy and compassion. Uh, it has to do with concern or care or empathy in the lives of another. Throughout Scripture, uh, mercy is most clearly demonstrated and understood in the character of God, a God who is merciful and caring and compassionate and loving towards his people. 
It might not always strike us this way, but the God of the Old Testament is a merciful and compassionate God. I think a lot of us have read the stories about the wrath of God, and and we come to this place of fearing God, and there's a place for all of that. I'm not saying that's entirely wrong, but understand the way God describes himself and operates in the Old Testament in an overarching way is the story of a God of mercy and compassion. In Psalm 51, uh, verse 1, the, the psalmist cries out to God, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. This psalmist, a man who knew clearly that he was in the wrong and also knew that God is loving and compassionate in spite of that. And so he cries out in his need, God, have mercy on me. The story of God as a compassionate God is seen throughout the Old Testament scriptures, and so I could go so many places with this. Uh, but what stood out to me this week as I was studying was the story of another prophet in scripture, a man named Jonah. And I'll very briefly tell this because I think in the next few weeks we're going to be digging into the prophets a little more deeply. Um, but to demonstrate mercy, I want to I want to briefly cover the story of Jonah. Jonah's a prophet. God calls him to go to a nation called Nineveh, a very wicked people, and to prophesy against them, to, to call them out for their uh, sinfulness, for their evil ways. So Jonah jumps on a ship and runs in the exact opposite direction. He has no interest in going to Nineveh. God sends a storm and Jonah convinces the sailors that the reason the storm is there is because he's running from God and he convinces them, throw me overboard so that you can all survive this situation. They do and God sends a large fish that swallows Jonah up. And for three days and three nights, Jonah finds himself in the belly of a fish. And what's interesting is, well, he could be grumbling, well, he could be fearful, he's praying these beautiful prayers of God and your great mercy and compassion, you've set me in this belly of a fish surrounded by rotting fish. Like, this sounds terrible. And yet Jonah receives this moment as mercy, God's mercy and his compassion in his life. Uh, Soon God's mercy uh, ends up in Jonah being vomited onto shore by this fish. Again, the mercy of God uh, as, as Jonah lays in vomit on the shore. Uh, and, and, and God sends him again. Go to Nineveh and speak to these people. Uh, Jonah prophesies to them, and they repent. Uh, an incredibly wicked nation says, we have been wrong, we have done wrong in the eyes of God, and God in his great mercy, what do you imagine he does? He forgives that nation. And Jonah throws a fit. He says, this is the reason from the beginning I didn't want to go to Nineveh because I know how compassionate you are, and I wanted them to suffer the consequences. I wanted them to get what they deserve, but God, you don't work that way. And so God teaches Jonah about what his mercy and compassion looks like. Throughout the story, we see a merciful, compassionate God we see very good in, in the characters throughout the story, except for that of God, which is consistently mercy. In Jonah's disobedience, God demonstrates mercy and invites him back into his plan. In Nineveh's wickedness, God demonstrates mercy as they repent. In Jonah's bitterness towards God, God demonstrates mercy again by gently teaching him his ways. God is a God of mercy and compassion. And of course, the culminating story of God's mercy and compassion is found in the character of Jesus. Uh, in that Jesus, born into an Israelite nation, comes 
for the hope of the whole world, but also to fulfill covenant that God had made with the nation of Israel, a covenant in which God would bless this nation and they would be a blessing to all the world and understand Israel has not operated well within that covenant. They've broken covenant time and time again to the point that they're no longer a sovereign nation and they're sitting in the season of silence. The prophets have said, it's okay, God's still compassionate, but for hundreds of years they wait upon what God might do and in his great mercy and compassion, God sends Jesus fulfilling both sides of covenant, that Israel could be restored and that Jesus' hope and love can be demonstrated not just to Israel, but to all of humanity. You see, Jesus is the culminating act of God's justice and mercy in the way he operates amongst his people. And so I can only imagine if Jesus is the culmination of God's mercy in this story of his, his uh, rebuilding, reworking, uh, restoring this world, then we might learn a lot about mercy and compassion from Jesus. So we'll look at one story and, and we'll look at one text as Jesus teaches and as Jesus demonstrates mercy. In Luke chapter 18, uh, there's a story that I'll, I'll paraphrase a good bit of, but Jesus is walking from town to town, uh, speaking at synagogues. He's operating as a rabbi in the season, a revered position in Israel, but he's a very different rabbi than anyone else had seen. And as he walks from town to town in Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 35, uh, he's um, approaching Jericho, and there's a blind man on the roadside uh, who's a beggar. You see, blind men weren't revered in Israelite culture. They weren't cared for well by the society, though God had provisions within Israel that they should have been. Here this man sits on the side of the road, despised by the people, both because he's blind and because he's begging. And this man starts calling out to Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And guess what the people around Jesus do? They try to quiet him down. This is a distraction. Jesus has important things to be doing in this moment. But the guy cries out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops. And he says, bring that man over here. You see, because the mercy of Jesus is always looking towards the margins looking towards those forgotten people and places, those people that have been pushed away. And Jesus says, let's bring that to the center of this gathering. While others say Jesus has more important things to be doing, Jesus says, no, the mercy I choose to demonstrate at the margins, the mercy that brings people from the margins to the center of this gathering, this is who I am, this is what I do. And so in his great mercy, Jesus says to this man, what is it that you want from me? It's a, it's a strange, it's an ironic question. Of course the man wants to see, and in fact, that is what he wants. He says, I want to receive my sight. And so Jesus gives him his sight, and uh, immediately he received his sight, and he followed Jesus, praising God. You see, the mercy of Jesus was not only giving the man his sight, but also it was Jesus' attention to this man in this moment. It was the fact that he would bring him from the outskirts of society into the center of Jesus' life and ministry, and he would heal him in a way that would demonstrate to everyone what the compassion, what the mercy of God looks like. Mercy upon mercy. And Jesus teaches about mercy. Uh, In fact, um, Jesus 
presents throughout his teachings mercy as a fundamental characteristic of his mission, his message, and his people. Mercy is at the center of what he desires of his people. As we read the Beatitude earlier, um, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. There's a parable found in Luke 10 in which a a Pharisee or a teacher of the law is trying to trap Jesus in his words. He says, what are the great, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, love God, but also love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus adds a second in there and the guy trying to justify himself or trap Jesus says, yeah, but who's my neighbor? And so Jesus tells a story about a good Samaritan. Now in Israelite culture, no one would call a Samaritan good. This is a hated people by the Israelites. And yet Jesus tells a story about a Samaritan. Samaritan who sees an Israelite person beaten and and lying half dead on the side of the road and takes that man and he brings him to an inn and pays for his care that he would heal. And Jesus asks the man in Luke 10, 36, which of the men that saw this this Israelite man uh, beaten on the road, which was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of a robber? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Jesus is constantly pulling at threads that force people to rethink their worldviews, to understand the world and the people they interact with in new ways. And here, a high and mighty teacher of the law in Israel is forced to acknowledge the merciful one, the good one in this story, was the Samaritan man. Jesus is always pulling from the fringes to the center, those that that he's come to demonstrate his mercy for, those society has thrown out, those that we could give up on, Jesus comes to their rescue and demonstrates mercy in their lives. So in our text today, Micah 6, 8, uh, it says, act justly and love mercy. You see, which, with each of these, uh, justice, mercy, and humility, there's a verb associated. And I think the verb chosen here for mercy is Kind of interesting. I'm not sure I've fully processed exactly why it's written the way that it is. Uh, but I do know this. Uh, love is a verb. DC Talk sang about it in the 80s or 90s, right? Uh, and, and it is in this case that we are to love mercy. And the bibl- biblical concept of love uh, has to do with an action. It's posturing ourselves and engaging for the well-being of another person. That's what love is. It's much less about a feeling. Now, there is conversation of the feeling that is love in Scripture, but the primary conversation is about an action, about a posture, about engaging for the well-being of another. So in Micah 6, 8, he says to love mercy. It's a verb. It's, 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 it's an action. We are to engage in mercy. For the well-being of God, for the well-being of king, his kingdom, for the well-being of other people, we are invited to engage in mercy. Jonah didn't love mercy, and I think a lot of times in our lives, we'll find ourselves feeling a similar way. You think back of that story and Jonah throwing a fit, because I wanted them to get what they deserved, Right? And in our lives, as, as we think about the people around us and what it might look like to redeem, to reconcile, to heal a relationship or a situation, quite often mercy is going to be the last thing we want to engage in in that moment. I think it's just human nature. This is a really hard call. So we're invited to love mercy. 
and, and I think that begins with learning to understand mercy as we have received from God. Um, what mercy do you find yourself calling out to God for? A blind man sits on the side of the road. Son of David, have mercy on me. Is there an ailment or a struggle in your life that you've been crying out or maybe one that you've yet started to cry out to God? But that we start saying, God, in your great mercy, will you have compassion on me? It's appropriate and it's good to bring those things to a loving and compassionate God. Like the psalmist in Psalm 51, God, in your great compassion and mercy, uh, have mercy on me. Uh, redeem me, heal me, take away my sin. All of those are appropriate and good cries. And will we call out to God? Uh, the interesting thing is sometimes God answers and we receive sight like a blind man on the side of the road. And sometimes God's mercy looks like fish vomit in the life of Jonah, right? It doesn't always look as beautiful or play out in, in precisely the way that we would want it to. And yet Jonah is such a remarkable example in that moment of turning to gratitude, of turning to praise of God for his great love and mercy. God was demonstrating his mercy in carrying out his good plan to redeem an entire nation, to save a people. God was being merciful throughout that text. And Jonah was a powerful man, at least in his ability to recognize that God is being merciful, even in the struggle of this moment. And so the second thing I'd encourage us to is uh, not only to call out to God in, in our need for mercy, but secondly, to recognize where mercies already exist in our lives. And sometimes they can be hard to see, because sometimes they don't look just like what they hoped they would be. But I think continually throughout our lives, on a daily basis, were we to re, uh, refocus our attention, were we to look at the world through lenses that allow us to see what God is doing in and around us, we would recognize continual mercies. A God that loves you and a God that is working for your benefit on your behalf and for his kingdom to come and his will be done. So we cry out for mercies we need. We begin to recognize the mercies that have already been given. And finally, the third movement uh, was the call of Jesus and, and his teaching. Go and do likewise. We are invited to be people that demonstrate mercy in the lives of others. And it happens on a really small continual, continual basis. It, it happens when we have a disagreement with a spouse or a loved one or a coworker, and we choose to operate out of compassion for them as opposed to getting what we deserve or them getting what they deserve. There's the small mercies that happen on a day-to-day -day basis. It's a kind word or a hug when a person's in need. These are the little mercies in which we get to demonstrate for people what God is doing in their lives. The mercy that he is showering down, we get to, we get to demonstrate in a physical way to be his hands and feet, that reach out and give a hug, that help a person in need, that show compassion even in situations that don't often warrant compassion. We are invited to be a people uh, who demonstrate God's mercy and compassion in the lives of others. You know, it, as, as I was thinking about this and talking with some people about this series, I began to recognize just how closely linked uh, justice, mercy, and humility are. 
Um, I don't think I'd ever identified that in this text until we started breaking it out into these individual pieces uh, to recognize um, that restorative justice requires an act of mercy. And mercy is most often conducted by a person that has the humility to recognize who they are, who God is, who this other person is. It's out of humility that we're able to demonstrate mercy and restorative justice is the result. What a beautiful series, and and I've never seen this before in the text. For today, then, we have this. Uh, God has shown us what is good and what he requires of us. Love, mercy. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day and this time uh, to explore your word. And Spirit, we invite you uh, to work in our hearts and our spirits, uh, in our in our minds and our thought processes, as we consider um, people, situations around us. God, will you teach us um, to love the mercy that you have shown us, the compassion that you have shown us? And will you teach us to reciprocate that kind of mercy and compassion in the lives of others? Spirit, we invite you to convict us. We invite you to lead us as we uh, go into this week with mercy and compassion on our mind. In Jesus' name, amen.